The epidemic that was closest to what we're going through right now is the SARS epidemic. And when the SARS epidemic was at its highest, you, if you were a black man in Toronto, you were nine times more likely to contract SARS than if you were a, a white person. Yeah. And then really quickly, we said, well, what does that mean for COVID? And what does it mean for us? And then, you know, uh, one thing led to another. We create a digital platform called Colors of COVID. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe the place to learn more about how to navigate the healthcare system and how to take care of your health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita, a health educator with a passion for making sure people understand the information that's shared with them. Our guest today is Mr. Thierry Lindor, founder of a platform designed to collect data on how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting communities of color. Grab your warm drink and let's get to the episode. Hi, Theory. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I'm really pleased to have you here. Thank you for having. I'm blessed to be with you right now. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself because I think you can do it better than me. You're an entrepreneur, you're UN top 100 under 40. What do you want the public to know about you? Uh, I'm just an active citizen. I'm, 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 I'm a Black person that believes that his Blackness is a superpower I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in real estate and tech for close to 20 years now. Um, and yeah, I, I, I try to live and walk in purpose. I've represented Canada at the G20 in Japan. I've been blessed enough to represent them also in Saudi Arabia this year. And if I could have a say in it, I'm going to go represent Canada and Black Canada in Rome uh, uh, in 2021. So hopefully COVID won't uh, slow that down for us. And also I, I, I represented Canada at uh, alongside Drake, which is pretty cool. Yeah, at the United Nations for the top 100 under 40 global people of African descent. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a father. I have three kids. Uh, I care about, yeah, I care about anything that advances equality and justice. Um, yeah, that's who I am, I think, in a nutshell. Awesome. Thank you. And you also speak your mind, which I love. <laughs> you don't hold back. <laughs> a little bit. That I definitely do. I, I'm not in the business of reputation building and I could care less what people think about me. What I think I care about is my character. And my character is really who I am and who I know to be. I don't lose any sleep on the opinions that people have of me, which I think is also part of my superpower. And I always say that I'm going to be survived by my seeds and my deeds. So my seeds are my kids. How well of humans are, are they going to walk this earth? And my deeds is the actions that I've done uh, to, to better you, mankind. So, yeah. That's an awesome philosophy. So one thing you left out is that you're founder and creator of Colors of COVID. So can you tell us <laughs> what the Colors of COVID is and why you thought it was necessary? Thank you so much, Queen, for talking about this because it's really, it's, it's a cause that's dear to my heart. Colors of COVID is a platform that we created to collect race-based data. For anybody listening to this, regardless of where you are across the globe, Canada does not collect race-based data under the guise that we are uh, liberal and we don't see color. We just don't collect race-based data. And one thing we know is that you can't combat what you don't measure. Very quickly, when the pandemic started, COVID-19, we realized that um, this was going to have massive impact on the world, but more importantly, massive impact on Canadians of color, BIPOC community, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. 
And we looked at the, the history. I think history repeats itself when you don't learn from history itself. And one thing we noticed is very quickly, me and my team back in March, when Justin Trudeau decided to, to close the country and the economy, we looked at when was the last time there was either a pandemic or an epidemic that would be potentially similar to what we're facing. And we found an epidemic, which is a lot more local. Pandemic is global. The epidemic that was closest to what we're going through right now is the SARS epidemic. And when the SARS epidemic was at its highest, you if you were a black man in Toronto, you were nine times more likely to contract SARS than if you were a, a white person. Yeah. And then really quickly, we said, well, what does that mean for COVID? And what does it mean for us? And then, you know, uh, one thing led to another. We create a digital platform called Colors of COVID. For the listeners, if you have 90 seconds, go take the survey. It's a 90-second survey in order to collect data to be able to force our elected officials to take action because this pandemic, believe it or not, it is not a health pandemic. Don't listen to what they're trying to tell you. It is a socioeconomic pandemic that happens to have health impact. So people dying are real. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a conspiracist or none of that stuff. The death are real. But that's just a symptom. The root of these deaths and why people are dying, the root are disparity, injustice, and inequity in, in, in the Canadian society, American society we live in. So those are uh, the reason why we are dying. COVID does not see color. It doesn't biologically attack black people or indigenous or women or people of color. But one thing COVID sees is poverty. And in North America, poverty is way too often women, black, indigenous, and people of color. So that's what we're trying to combat, Nikita. Thanks. So I, I took the survey. I can testify. It's even less than 90 seconds. It's like really fast check boxes. What are you learning so far? Okay, so yeah, great question. What we're learning so far, and, and just to be clear, it doesn't mean white people don't take the survey. Actually, we have a lot of white people taking the survey, so we're super happy that we have allies that believe in what we're doing. So far, all nationalities, ethnicities confounded, 10% of people have lost someone to COVID. That's the first thing. When you disaggregate this to black and brown people, it actually doubles or triple in certain Conjecture. So that's pretty scary. Uh, 30, 30, close to 30%. So 29% have contracted COVID. Once again, when you look at black or brown people, this number actually doubles. So it goes closer to 60% of people have contracted COVID. Now, if you look at, that's not our data, but CBC came out with an amazing study during the summer. 83% of cases in Toronto were either black or indigenous. 83%. That is actually scary. That is very scary, right? 56% of people that took our survey have said that COVID has impacted their mental health in a negative fashion, all right? Uh, that number, again, every number I'm giving you goes up when it accounts. <laughs> it's sad, but it's, it's facts. And, and then a loss of income. 35% of people have either lost their job or if they're business owners, lost uh, income. Once again, this number close to doubles when it comes up to black and brown communities. And there's something also to say about women. It's sad, but uh, once again, COVID is a socioeconomic pandemic. And I think when we look back five to 10 years from now, we're going to be able to realize that 
We called it a health pandemic just because it's the easiest way to define it. But all over the world, whether you go to Brazil, right? Whether you go to India, whether you go to Quebec, which is the epicenter of COVID death in, in Canada and one of the top 10 worst places in the world. <laughs> Quebec is one of the top 10 worst places in the world in terms of death per 100,000 habitants. We have one of the worst ratio. Montreal North, a uh, quick, quick statistic, which is the epicenter of Quebec, had close to 1,000 deaths per 100,000 people. They were right below the Vatican, which has 5,000 people in the Vatican. And, and then New York City, uh, Quebec was in the top five. So one thing that I want to draw attention to, Nikita, is when you take a step back and you look at this, you realize that any places across the globe that has a lot of racism, a lot of classism, seems to be at the forefront of contracting COVID. So India, we know India is very big on class and caste system, right? Brazil, one of the most racist country in the world where 65% of the population is of African descent. And then Quebec, we have a premier that refuses to recognize that systemic racism exists. So there's, there's a correlation between recognizing and addressing systemic inequities regarding race and more importantly, fighting poverty, which is by far, you know, they fight drugs, they fight gang violence, but they won't fight poverty. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you want to draw it out for our listeners a little bit more why you say that it's a socioeconomic pandemic? Like you say Montreal North. For those of us who live in Montreal, we know Montreal North is like a lower socioeconomic status compared to other communities. But do you want to explain that a little bit more? That's a great question, Nikita. And it's definitely worth expanding on. So like I said, COVID is not like, ha ha, are you black or indigenous? Aha, I'm catching on to you. COVID actually uh, sees inequity in terms of socioeconomic demographics. So to go back to the studies, uh, CBC came out with an amazing heat map. And the heat map is basically the darker the color, the more COVID cases, the lighter the color, the less cases. And there was something super amazing about a, a little area, and I'm gonna get back to Montreal North, but quickly for your listeners. There was something amazing about an area called Park Extension, Park Extension, which is highly BIPOC. Not very indigenous, but highly black and highly brown, definitely brown. A lot of immigrants and so on and so forth, newly arriving uh, immigrants. And then right across, from Park Extension is one of the richest place in Canada. As a matter of fact, 25 years ago, the place I'm referring to is called TMR, Town of Mount Royal. Town of Mount Royal was the most expensive postal code in Canada, about 25 to 30 years, the most expensive one, all right? So if you lived in that postal code, your price per square foot was the highest one in Canada. If you cross one street, not one block, not two streets, one street separates both areas. It's called Lacadie Street. And if you crossed over, you were in Park Extension, which was the poorest postal code in Canada. And on the heat map provided by CBC, you have dark red for Park X, and you have light, 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 almost white, no cases in TMR. That speaks volume also on the price per square foot. Why? Because in TMR, you have a lot more detached home. You have a lot less apartments. There's a lot higher rate of home ownership. 
a lot less rate of rentals. Even the rentals are big, spacey apartments with balconies in the front, balconies in the back. And what we're seeing is there's a direct correlation between contracting COVID and the price per square foot of your area. Another thing we're seeing, there's a high level of correlation, maybe not causation, but correlation between how much green space you have and where you live. So we know that in black and brown neighborhoods, indigenous neighborhoods, we don't have a lot of parks. We just don't. But if you go in the West Island, if you go in West Mount, you have the most beautiful parks that you could ever imagine. So once again, this is a clear example of social economic inequities. Another big example, the, the cleanest example I could give you. I was on a chat with the mayor of Brampton. The mayor of Brampton in Ontario said something that is gonna, that is, is imprinted in my head. He said that they ran a survey and they found that in public transportation where bus would go through black and brown areas, bus driver were contracting COVID faster than in rich white areas. And if you wanna push the line, I personally live in Montreal. I am not a huge fan of what Valérie Plante does as a mayor. I think she talks a lot of good game, but she doesn't deliver on a lot of the promises. One of the key things she ran on was a thing called the pink line. If you remember Nikita, the pink line was supposed to be a subway station that would go all the way to Saint-Michel, Montreal, North, Rivière-des-Prairies, which are once again, the epicenter of COVID cases, and more importantly, black and brown neighborhoods. Now, what I, I'm sure we would find is if we ran a survey finding out in the public transit, how many subway drivers versus bus drivers are contracting COVID? the numbers would be staggering. Because as you know, in the subway, the drivers are isolated. There you go. In the bus, they are not. So this is once again, clear cases of why it is a socioeconomic uh, uh, crisis. Driving a car is a luxury, right? Remote working, talking like me and you are doing right now, that is a privilege. A lot of people living in the areas that we talked are actually frontline workers. They work in the meatpacking industry, they, they, they work in the hospitals, right? They work in the supermarkets. They potentially get exposed to COVID and they bring the, 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 the virus back home. And then they, they, they literally, they, 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 they contaminate their kids. Their kids go to school, contaminate the teachers, so on and so forth. So if you live in Westmount and you could afford to have Zoom calls all day and not leave your home without being financially affected, then you're, you're going to go... Uh, uh, through COVID-19 pandemic, like, like, like it's a walk in the park. So these are the reason why I'm saying it is a socioeconomic pandemic a, a lot more than it is a health pandemic. Awesome. Thank you. And you created this because the government wasn't doing it. So as a private citizen, you took the initiative. The theory, how, how are people responding to the survey? Are you getting folks to take it? What's their reaction when you go into communities? I know people can be hesitant sometimes about data collection. Yeah. So right now we've been blessed. People are actually actively participating in the survey. I think there's also, there's a way you communicate with people. Of course, some people are always going to be reticent and, oh, I'm not sure I want to take it. But, you know, when you're watching video on YouTube, watching video on Facebook, you're, you're giving your data. You know, whether we like to admit it or not, unless you're on none of these social media platforms, some way, somehow, you're giving your data to Silicon Valley and a lot of 
rich white men. So um, when, when we are trying to do things on our end, which is for BIPOC communities, black, brown communities, indigenous and women more specifically, I think it's, it's something to think about. You know, if you're hesitant giving your data to us, then you should review maybe how you consume on a daily basis the content that you consume. Because contrary to Facebook or all of these Silicon Valley companies, we're not gonna use this to sell anything. We're using this to create a report around, around the social economic impact on black, brown, indigenous communities and people of color. And then we're gonna demand change and concrete actions from the, the, the municipal government, provincial governments, as well as federal governments. Okay, so there they have been some reticent people, but folks you've run into in the community seem fairly okay with this. They're happy to to share with. I think you. it has to do with trust, Nikita. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I think over the years, and I've been you know an entrepreneur for twenty, maybe at the forefront and fighting publicly for ten years at least. I think by now, obviously, there's some people that are like, ah, here goes Terry again, you know. <laughs> but I'm not talking to these people. I don't really, I don't care about anybody liking or. Like I said earlier, I'm not in this for my reputation. I, I really could care less. I know what my character is. I don't get defined by the opinions of others. And I walk in purpose. I, I, have, I, I want my kids one day to, to be able to walk around and people say, hey, I knew your dad. Your dad fought for, for people of color in Canada and you should be proud of that. That would make me a, a happy old man in, in 25, 35, 45 years. <laughs> that would be a great legacy. And also, I think you have a benefit because you're not part of the establishment. You know? hey, so. <laughs> definitely not. So I think that helps. <laughs> I think People like, do I want to talk to this guy? <laughs> that's a good point. I think you touched on something, Nikita, because I think in 2020, what we saw is the establishment or authorities or traditional authorities we saw an erosion of the trust that the people give to these establishing, these established authorities. So look at the defund movement. You could have never talked about this 10, five, 10 years ago. Defund police? What do you mean defund the police, right? So it, it speaks volume of we do not trust the authorities anymore, whether it be pol politicians or police. Or, or, or the FBI or the RCMP, there's just a, a, a true challenging of the status quo in regards to who we allocate our trust with. And I think it, people do recognize that, oh, Terry's part of us, he's one of us. You know, Once again, there's always gonna be detractors, but that's fine. I'm not looking to talk to detractors, I'm looking to talk to ambassadors that believe in, in bettering our situation. Because there's some people in our community that are like, what you're doing is useless and, you know, we should burn everything down and start out. I'm like, whoa, calm down. Take a chill pill, buddy. I I'm not sure I believe in this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I believe that we have to infiltrate all of these spaces where we're not seen often. You touched on what you're going to do with the data. So you're yeah. going to make reports to the government. And how do you think you'll get them to listen to you and not just Ooh. die? <laughs> Look at you, move over Barbara Walters, move over Oprah. Um, that's a great question. And, and the way we did, the, the way we're circumventing this, listen, my name's Thierry Lindor. I'm a nobody, right? But McGill University is somebody, at least in the eyes of the government. So one thing we did, 
is it's not Thierry Lindor coming out with that report. It is Colors of COVID backed and powered by McGill University. And I'm super proud and I'm going to break that news on your podcast, Queen. University of Toronto just jumped on board. So now we've got two of the biggest, yep, two of the biggest universities in, uh, uh, in the Western Hemisphere that are saying, not only do we believe in this, but we're willing to attach our brand to this. It doesn't matter it's Thierry Lindor behind this. We believe in colors of COVID. So the brand colors of COVID is, is going to outlive me. You know, when COVID is finished, it's going to be called the colors of Canada because there's still going to be discrimination. Hopefully I'm able to fight that discrimination long enough so that my, my, my kids don't have to fight the same battle as me or else shame on me, to be frank with you. But the, the report, it's not produced by me. It's not even produced by colors of COVID. It is produced by McGill PhDs that work under an equity. That's very important, an equity structure, which means we have to be ethical in the way we use the data. We have to disseminate, disaggregate, and aggregate the data in a research sound and scientific way that makes sense with the powers that be and the authorities that are overseeing what makes a legit report versus what makes a report just Terry said that this is, did you hear Terry say this? So we're really, really proud of this, that in the next couple of months, McGill University, uh, powered by the Federation of Black Canadians and University of Toronto and Food Bank Canada, are going to come out with probably uh, one of the most concrete and actively powerful report, uh, I'd like to say, in the history of, of this country. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait to see what it says. Me too. Yeah. I'm convinced it's going to be, regardless of what it says, it's going to force elected officials to take actions. You know what I mean, Nikita? Like, to me, it's not so, hopefully Black people are not dying as much as we think they are. You know, like, hopefully mental health is not so much of a crisis. But one thing's for sure, I truly hope that whatever comes out forces the government to take action. I hope so too. Now, ooh, so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> So two things came to mind, like mental health. And we know in the Black community, mental health is kind of yeah. touchy. So what are people saying on that? But also you, you, you mentioned that some people say nothing's going to happen. Like they, so how do you also respond to people who are discouraged? Um, oh, my gosh, this has been going on for years. Why is this time going to be any different? Like, what do you tell people who are losing hope and seeing change? That's such a great question. You know. I think black folks, one thing we can never take away from black, we're resilient. You know, you 400 years of trying to actively kill us and destroy us and kill our voices, let alone our black bodies dying. I think it's, one thing's for sure, black people are resilient. One thing that we are not as resilient, our bodies are resilient. Our spirit is resilient. But I feel sometimes our... I think intellectually, we're not as resilient as we should be. And more importantly, we're not as unified intellectually as we should be. People have tried to divide us. And, and, and listen, when you can't kill a man, you, you jail him. And we know what they did with us in the 80s with the war on drugs and war on violence. I think confinement is also showing a whole lot of white people what it's like to be black forced to be confined. You are forced to face your demons. 
you're not as healthy as you should be psychologically and physically. The one-up we have is we've been through this for 400 years. Now, the downside to this is I think that we're kind of like plagued by despotism where, eh, like you said, what is it going to do, you know? And with this thought process, I think that apathy is the most, the biggest enemy that we can have. We have to keep our foot on their neck, Queen Nikita. We just passed 2020. And 2020 showed us one thing, one thing, one thing. We're not literally in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And one thing we've shown as black folks is we could survive a storm. We know how to survive storms, right? So how are we gonna respond after the storm? And how are we gonna leverage the international attention that the Black Lives Matter movement, whether we agree with it or not, and it was stolen, it's hijacked by white billionaires, I'm not even getting at all that. I'm not even getting at all that. What are you doing to push forward the narrative of the promise of the potential of Black Canadians? That's all I care about. How are you pushing forward the promise of Black people in the world? If you are pushing that forward, good, let's talk. If you're negative and, and you know, my father always told me, you would have more chances to show, uh, uh, to teach a blind man how to read than to teach somebody or, or show somebody uh, about your passion in your heart. Because some people, they're like blind people. You would waste your time. So I'm not in the business of acquiring people's support or acquiring people's attention or acquiring uh, minds and intellectuals and bodies that are going to help us win this war. I'm in the business of attracting. I believe in the law of attraction more than the law of acquisition. Acquisition is expensive. Anybody that's ever run a business, acquiring talent is one of the most expensive thing you could do. Acquiring a customer? Oh my God. So I'm not in the business of acquiring customers or acquiring ambassadors. I'm in the business of attracting them. And I've done well enough in my life that I could take on my platform, do a video, and it'll be seen by 30,000 people in 24 hours. And out of the 30,000, rain, COVID, no COVID, I'll get 25 DMs of people saying, where can I help? And that's good enough for me. 1% is gonna come up and say, what you just said resonated with me, how can I help? So, so, so that's where I'm at right now. And I, I don't dwell on despotism or negativity. Do you have any tips on how people can best advocate for themselves and their loved ones in general? Cause I know you're an advocate and here we are, Good Health Cafe. We know healthcare is sometimes tough. How do you tell people they should advocate for themselves when they need to? Wow, that's a great question. I think the first step, the first step to advocate for anything, if you're an indigenous person, a homeless person, you wanna advocate for housing, the first step is to recognize that there's a problem. That's the first step, first, first step. The second step I believe is recognize the privilege you have within this problem. So let's say if I'm a homeless man, well, I have a privilege that I'm a man. 
And the reason why there's not a lot of homeless women is because homeless women have it really rough in this kind of sphere, right? So let me get back to black, being black, advocating for black folks. So the first thing I would say is recognize that there is a problem, right? Instead of just talking about problems, bring up solutions, but we're going to get there. I think the first step is recognizing the problem. Second step is recognizing the, the privilege you might have navigating these problems. So for me, right, Nikita, my first privilege, I'm a man. You, Nikita, are a beautiful black queen, okay? My second privilege is I'm a light-skinned black man. That's a huge privilege, right? Whereas you are a beautiful, black, melanated-powered queen. You have a little bit more melanin than I have. The reason why I'm saying is recognize your privilege before you get into advocacy of anything is it's going to help you cope with nuances and ways to think outside of the box or, like I like to say, eliminating completely the box in saying, okay, Terry, Colors of COVID works, but does it work for Nikita, who's a black woman? Does it work for people that live in tech deserts? You're creating a tech platform where people don't have access to technology. So here's what we did at, at, at Colors of COVID. We decided that not everybody has access to technology, but what does every human being on earth has to do? Every human being has to sleep and has to eat or else you're gonna die. So how during this pandemic, are people eating? How are the most vulnerable people in the black community eating? The answer is food banks. So we decided to create digital access and provide partner up with nonprofit organization that had food banks access and give them iPads so they could collect the information. So first, first thing first, identify the problem. Second things, identify your privilege in navigating these problems. Third thing, realize one, I am not gonna curse, but I was about to curse. Realize one effing thing, nobody, and I mean nobody, I don't care what color they are, what sex they are, what, what God they pray to, nobody that I've ever met is gonna prioritize your well-being before their own. I've never seen it. So that well-being starts also with mental health. So you have to ask yourself that question. You, you identify the problem, identify your privilege. The third point is, are you mentally healthy enough to get into this advocacy? Because you cannot help anybody if you are not well yourself. Hurt people hurt people, healed people heal people. So are you yourself healed enough that you could bring about a positive message? And even if it's not always positive, because my message sometimes is not always positive, is it necessary? And are you able to have the mental fortitude to go forward with this? Number four, I would say, is you're gonna need allies. And these allies might not always look like you. My biggest allies in 2020, black women. By far, no comparison. It's not Google, it's not Tesla, it's not Amazon, it's definitely not rich white men. My biggest allies of 2020, my biggest wins have been with black women in 2020. So identifying allies that might not be the same sex as you, same gender as you. My second biggest allies, white women. Whether we, I'm gonna speak truth to power, facts, right? One of my last ally, when I look at my top five allies are black men, believe it or not. 
my last allies, when I, because I have the data, who's taking a survey, who's sharing my stories, who's engaging with my content, engaging with my message. So realize that you're going to need allies to start being active. And the last part is don't wait for anybody to give you anything, let alone a platform or a microphone. Take it. You don't, you don't ask for respect. You don't ask for dignity. You don't ask for economic empowerment. You take it and you demand it. And like Brother Malcolm X said, by any means necessary. If you have a phone, take your phone. This today is something that if MLK, Angela Davis, uh, Madam C.J. Walker had a cell phone with Wi-Fi, high-speed internet, and a smartphone back when they were advocating, man, imagine who they would be remembered as today. Today, right? And you say that, and I think about, it's so, I I don't even know, but like I think about Joyce Eshaquan. Like she had her phone and everything, and it's still, it's like so infuriating, (laughs) you know? Oh my God, don't get me started there. Oh I know, I know. <laughs> right, You're, but you know what? May she rest in power, Queen Joyce. You know, we've all heard this, right? It's, it's, it's not that it's not happening, it's now we have phones to document it. So we're not gonna go back on that. But I think, I think Queen Nikita, there's something to ask ourselves. What kind of society do we live in where we are forced to document our own oppression for people to believe that it really happened. Think about this for two seconds. We live in a society that the burden of truth is on the oppressed and not the oppressor. Joyce died for us to realize that there is systemic racism in the healthcare system. We've been, black women have been telling people this for years, decades. We have to have a black, an indigenous woman murdered, murdered, disrespected, her dignity taken away from her in the last hours of her life for us to shine a light. So the burden of proving our oppression is real is on us. Think about that for a second, the micro and macro aggression, the generational trauma that this can create on people from these communities. That is scary. That's why we have to stand up. We have to unify as a people. It's not so much, of course there's anti-black racism, anti-indigenous, anti-Semitism. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of society we wanna leave for our children? Are we gonna really leave unfought battles that we do not have the courage to tackle hands on at the risk of losing our homes. I've lost way more money in the past three years doing the advocacy I've done for the past 10 years. Not because I've advocated more, because now my platform has exploded. I've been doing the same advocacy, but COVID-19 has expanded everybody's platform that has been doing the work. So uh, it doesn't pay bills. (laughs) Be ready for that. It does not... um, but you know what? It, it, it pays dividends in my soul. It helps. I sleep good at night. I sleep better than when I had all of these, you know, successful businesses going on. And, and I have hope and faith that we're going towards a lot more just and equitable 
society slowly but surely. But yeah, I can't even imagine the pain of Joyce, let alone the pain of the the pain of her family. Think about this. The media has no problem putting the names of black youth that are part of gangs, right? But they're still to this day protected the name of the two nurses that killed Joyce Echequan. Mental health in the colors of COVID. Where do, where do you learn it? No, it's, that's a good one. We're learning that black people don't like to talk about mental health. You want a scary statistic? I'll give you one, an exclusive on your show again, without diving too much because yeah, I yeah. keep it for the report. Save it. <laughs> the older black folks are, because we have the data on their age, the less mental health problem they claim to have. Yeah. You know why? Because you don't talk about mental health. Now, the younger black people are, the higher the mental health issue is. Because it's not just okay, it's encouraged to talk about, black, about mental health. So anybody above 35, 40 taking the survey, actually more than that, it was 44 years old. Above 44 years old, it's like 13, 14% claim to have mental health issue. Like, come on, really? <laughs> You're going through this pandemic and it's like, nah, I'm just skipping through life. But then when you drop below the age of 25, it goes up to 75% are saying they're, they're going through massive mental health problems. So it's now, the way you ask the question. Ah, oh, look at you. <laughs> and, and, and Nikita, you know where you're so right? Thank God for the McGill research team that is so powerful. Black woman leading the charge. Shout out to Dr. Alicia Boatswain Kite. She's been one of my Wonder Woman for 2020. We're winning thanks to her. She assembled an Avengers team full of, of, of young PhDs that are black and brown and everybody's of color on that team. And one of them brought up what you just said. They said, how about we ask the question differently? So now in the second phase of our survey, because we're gonna have multiple phases, we plan on having this last for a long time. We're gonna ask the question differently. Instead of asking, are you experiencing negative impact on your mental health? This brilliant PhD student said, why don't we ask them if they're losing sleep? Why don't we ask them if their, their appetite has diminished? Why don't we ask them if their stress level went up? If their anxiety level went up? So we are anticipating, Nikita, that the same people that are above 44 years old saying, nah, I'm doing okay are probably going to say yes to losing sleep, appetite, stress, and anxiety. We're anticipating that. And we are, we are betting a whole lot of money that the answer is going to be yes, that, that all of the factors are aligning for mental health issues. So great question. Thank you so much for asking it. You're welcome. Do you have any testimonials from your, your journey so far? Maybe one that stands out, a great story that makes you feel warm and tingly based on what you've been Have doing. you been listening to some interviews I did recently? I <laughs> yes, I have, I have something in mind <laughs> of, your, of your Jamaican lady that I think I heard you mention. She made me cry. She made me cry so much. I'm not going to say her name, not to say the neighborhood, but there's an old Jamaican lady and um, we, it was during a food bank collection. Um, 
it was during a food bank collection session and she came up and she said, young man, and my, my, my Jamaican accent sucks, so she, I'm going to try my best here for your audience. She said, young man, can I tell you something for two seconds? I said, yes, no worries. How can I help you? And she said, you know, I've been in Canada for 60 years. I've been here for 60 years. Me never taken one survey. Me never taken one questionnaire. We never taken nothing from the, the Canadian or federal or provincial or municipal government. This is the first time, young man, the first time I participate in a survey. And I want you to know that you make me feel seen. And when she said that, it hit me because I was like, I was going to thank her, but then she kept going. She said, I've been invisible for 60 years. And you, young man, have made me feel seen and you've made me feel alive. And for this, I thank you. And, and Nikita, it, it, it's bringing me goosebumps. It made me cry. And she said, no, no crying. It's a good thing. But I was like, <laughs> I don't think she understands. This interaction is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I do not care. I could care less what anybody thinks of me. This right there, that Jamaican lady saying, she, she said she never voted because she feels invisible. As a black woman in a country that makes her, imagine walking around for 60 years, feeling like nobody sees you, that you don't matter, that your opinion doesn't matter that your skin color doesn't matter, that the fact that you're a woman doesn't matter, that you have kids don't, like, that must be generational trauma that, you know, she must have been dealing with for years. So I'm just glad, I'm blessed. These moments, I live for these moments. This, this is one of the, I'm gonna take that moment to my grave, that's for sure. I'm happy that both of you were able to experience that. That is so well said. Yep. Yeah, I think I, think I I think she felt good releasing yeah. that. And I felt good receiving that. Well said. Definitely. Any closing thoughts as we wrap up? I applaud you. Uh, I want to congratulate you. And, and I just feel blessed and honored that I'm able to share on your platform. And, and, and thank you to your audience. And thank you to you, Queen Akita. Awesome. Thank you, Theory, for coming on, for starting the Colors of COVID, for taking the initiative to take this in hand for our community. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And remember to always stay black, blessed, and highly favored. I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer I'm always looking for. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Theory, in the unlikely event that people don't know where to find you, how can they find you? The best way to find me is at www.thierrylindor.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all the platforms, TikTok, uh, Clubhouse, I'm all of, all of them. Uh, I, my, my handle is Thierry Lindor. Thierry, like the soccer player, T-H-I-E-R-R-Y, and Lindor, like the chocolate. So if you type this, you should be able to find me. And uh, yeah, that's that. Great. Thanks. And I'll link it in the notes as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please be sure to visit the Colors of COVID website to learn more and take the survey. All of the information is in the show notes. Did you know that the Good Health Cafe also has a blog? Subscribe to our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com to get updates when new blogs or episodes are posted. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.